See you, Chapel family. Hopefully everybody's doing well. A lot of good stuff going on. We do conclude this conclude the Still Holy series today. We start a family series next week. It was supposed to start this week, but I added one more part to this series. We have a lot of good stuff coming up. Those prayer meetings are pivotal for our church and our community in multiple ways, but also the She Conference is coming up, which is the ladies' conference at the Rock Worship, Family Worship Center in Huntsville. So we're going to take a group. Toya will be out front. There'll be a booth to answer all your questions about that. That is in September. We need to start going and getting signed up starting this week and next week to get that locked in. So make sure you do that. If you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 12, me verse 3 through 11. And so I'm about to age a couple of you in the room real quick. So by a raise of hands, I want you to acknowledge how you were disciplined. So how many of you were disciplined by either a paddle or a switch or a belt? Raise your hand. Most of you. How many of you are disciplined by being put in timeout? Raise your hand. Yeah, it shows. It shows a whole so when I was going to, my dad was very creative. He had a braided belt that before he spanked me with it, he would actually pop that belt to give me the warning signs, and it would scare me to death. I remember one time I had to pick up rocks out of the yard and fill a whole wheelbarrow up. I was six years old. I couldn't push the wheelbarrow, but I had to fill it up with rocks, and the, always the dreaded, go get a switch. So after I figured out what that meant, I'd always try to get the switch. I knew it wouldn't hurt as bad, but then he'd be like, no, I think you need to go back and get another one, which always made me extremely mad. And then he would say something like this. This is going to hurt you or hurt me more than it hurts you. But by the look on my dad's face or that smirk and smile, I knew that wasn't the fact, the truth. And then once I had kids, I know sometimes, it, you know, sometimes it's enjoyable to, to discipline your children. Sometimes it, you're proving a point. But many times discipline comes in different forms or fashions. Uh, many times it comes from somebody who's an authority over us. But it really only comes from somebody who loves us unconditionally. And until someone loves you unconditionally, they cannot discipline you correctly. Because if they discipline you without unconditional love, it's not, it's not discipline, it's compliance. It's them trying to control your behavior instead of trying to discipline you to move you forward. So if you would stand to your feet in Hebrews chapter 12, so read a couple verses. One, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle, everybody say struggle. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, this is a quote from Proverbs. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. For it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there from his father who does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they discipline for a short time as it seemed best for them, but they disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Father, we thank you that we don't come to you as some foreign god or dignitary or some ruler or some lawmaker. We come to you as Father. And you are a father with unconditional, everlasting love. And out of that love, Father, you 
desperately seek to guide us and correct us and discipline us so we can be the best possible us we can be, to keep us on the straight and narrow and keep us walking down the path you've put before us. And so, Father, these next few moments, I pray you just open up our hearts to seek and to cherish the discipline that you show in our lives. And, Father, we thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. So discipline means training or correction. Uh, some people translate the, the Greek word here as enforced learning, meaning trying to force teach you something, trying to in, reinforce training, reinforce teaching. And so the scripture about discipline means God is trying to enforce some learning on his people, on his children, or he's trying to train them into righteousness or godliness, or he's trying to correct their behavior to get them back on the right path. And so discipline is, is very vital. But what I think is amazing in this scripture is in verse 4, where it says, in your struggle against sin, you have not resisted yet to the point of shedding your blood. Which, this is very early on in church history, which so Paul is saying is, or, or probably Paul, the writer of, of Hebrews, what he's saying is that all of us are going to struggle with sin at some point in our lives. Just because you get saved doesn't mean the struggle against starts. It actually means the struggle against sin begins. And if they're saying that in the New Testament, they're saying it today that there should be a struggle between living right and living for the world. There should be a struggle between trying to please God and trying to please yourself. There should be a struggle between living in your spirit or living in your flesh. And I want to tell you this, the struggle is real. Like it is real. If, if you've struggled with any type of temptation, it is real. The struggle is real, but the struggle is worth it. It is real, but it is worth it to keep in the struggle. Because just because you're struggling doesn't mean you're failing. Just because you're struggling with a certain temptation, just because you're struggling with a certain sin, doesn't mean you're failing. And it may actually mean you're growing. Because before you were saved, you didn't struggle, you just did it. Before you were saved, you didn't struggle with temptation, you just embraced it. You just sought after it. But now that you're saved, you're at least trying to please God. You're trying to get away. You're trying to move forward. The struggle is real. But at least you're struggling. At least you're struggling. I heard Jensen Franklin say, when it comes to the struggle of righteousness, the struggle of trying to live right, there's three types of people. There's quitters, campers, and climbers. Quitters, clamper, uh, campers, quitters, campers, and climbers. Quitters are those who start the race, but then once the struggle or start climbing up the mountain of holiness, they start climbing up to spiritual growth. At some point, they realize this is just too tough. I didn't sign up for this. I, I didn't sign up for this struggle. I signed up for Jesus to, to wipe away everything and me to feel better about myself. And at some point, they, they give up and they quit. We see this in church world. They get saved at the altar. They start walking well for a month, maybe two months, and then they end up quitting because the struggle became too much for them to embrace. But then you have campers. Campers are people, they, they start out well. They, they find a, a certain level of growth or a certain spot on the mountain of holiness, and they find a spot that's comfortable for them, and they decide to stay at that spot. They break out the tents. They break out the sleeping bags, and they remain at this spot because the struggle to go higher to them is just not worth it. And so they get comfortable in their walk with Jesus, they get comfortable in their religion, they get comfortable, and they become religious followers of Jesus. But then you have climbers. Climbers are those that, as people quit, they just keep on embracing the struggle. And the struggle is hard to climb up the mountain. 
They see the campers that are camped out, comfortable, drinking their coffee by the campfire, putting some hot dogs on the grill. They're, they're hanging out and they just keep on struggling past them to climb because the glory of God is at the top of the mountains. We were in Puerto Rico and there's this cave you go in, the, the ocean is coming into this cave and you can climb down in the cave. But to get into it, it's this really tight spot and you have to kind of, you could fall down all the way into the cave. So it was difficult to get in, but once you got in, it was beautiful. There's amazing, you see the waves crashing in, you see the tides coming in, it was just crystal clear water, it was beautiful. But to get out, it was difficult. So there's another spot, the wall is pretty much straight up, there's some little bitty footholds and handholds, but it was difficult. And so it was time for us to get out and a couple of the kids got out, RJ kind of got out really quick, Alicia and Araya tried to get up and Ariana started going up and, and she got nervous about towards the middle. And I told her, babe, I'm right here. I'll catch you if you fall. And I don't think she trusts me enough to catch her. She's like, no, I'm still scared, Daddy. So it made me feel really good about my, my physical attributes. And I said, well, just keep pressing on. Keep pushing. There's people on top that were telling her, hey, come on, you can do it. But it was difficult for her. And at any point, she could have stopped and came back down. But we would have had to stop and start it over again. And so many of us in our walk with Jesus or in our fight against sin, we get somewhere up the mountain and we just give up. You give in to temptation. You give in to lust. You give in to sexual, sexuality, things of the world. You give in to greed. You give in to complacency. You give in to lukewarmness. But Jesus said the struggle is real, but it's worth it. As long as you're struggling, you are winning. It is not okay to give up. It is only okay to struggle. I'm going to say this for, for some people, maybe even online. It is okay to struggle with homosexuality. It is not okay to give into it. It is okay to struggle with, with lust. It is not okay to give into it. Once you give into it, you're saying, this is okay and this glorifies God. But as long as you're struggling, you're pressing forward and trying and pushing towards the prize in Jesus. But once you give up, you say, I love this more than I love Jesus. The struggle is okay. Paul is literally saying that in this scripture. It is okay to struggle with sin. It is not okay to give into it. Embrace the struggle. Because at least if I'm struggling, I know I'm trying. As long as I'm struggling, I'm putting forth some effort. As long as I'm struggling, at least I'm pushing forward. And the struggle is real. But I promise you, the views from the top of the mountain are worth it. He says, I don't know you're struggling. But he says, I want you to know this too. That don't go weary or faint-hearted because God disciplines those he loves, which is the interesting transition between struggling with sin and then the discipline of the Lord. And so if you know that discipline means enforced learning or training or correction, he's saying, I know you're getting tired, but God is trying to correct your course or correct your path because discipline, whether we like it or not, discipline is the bridge between who you are and who you want to be. Discipline is the bridge between who you are now and who you want to be. It doesn't matter if it's business, if it's leadership, if it's athletics, if it's Christianity. It doesn't matter what it is. The difference between who you are now and who you want to be is discipline. It always builds the bridge between the two. And if we're honest, we don't like discipline. When I was playing sports, I hated when I heard the coach say, get on the line, boys. I was in the military, drop and give me 10 push-ups. The first time I heard that, man, I was, 
I thought I had it played out. So I was cool. I was trying to fly under the radar in boot camp. And we were doing drill one day, and we had a, a substitute drill sergeant. His back was turned to me. We're at attention, which means you can't move, but my nose was itching. And so my nose is itching. I'm at attention. His back is turned. I said, this is my chance. I reach up, and I scratch my nose that quick. And he said, I saw that. I said, there ain't no way that dude saw me. He said, I saw that drop and give me 10. I said, Psh, can I knock out push-ups all day? I dropped down, I pumped out about eight push-ups. I said, whoa, 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 on my count. Down, up, and I came to up. 20 minutes later, he said, down again. It took me an hour to do 10 push-ups. There's sweat dripping off. I said, I hate the Air Force. Basketball, I hate basketball. I hate when coach said, give me some laps. Football, gassers. Baseball, hit a pole. I hate it. What were they trying to do? They were trying to enforce learning upon me. Tom Landry said it this way. A coach's real job is to get players to do what they don't want to do so they can achieve what they've always wanted to be. He said, my job as a coach is to get players to do what they don't want to do. They don't want to do the hard work. They don't want to sacrifice. They don't want to be selfless. They don't want to be disciplined. They don't want to do this and do that. They don't want to get in shape. It's my job to get them to do what they don't want to do so that way they can become and achieve what they've always wanted to be. And for us, it's the same way. God will get us to do things we don't want to do so we can be who God has always wanted us to be. One person said, this motivation gets you going, but discipline is what keeps you growing. Motivation in a worship service like this, it gets you excited. An altar call experience gets you excited. It motivates you, but that's not going to keep you growing through difficult times. It's not what's going to keep you like Jesus in the wilderness when he's being tempted. Motivation's not going to keep you from falling into temptation. Discipline will. Discipline keeps you growing when your motivation fades away. Discipline keeps you moving in the right direction when your motivation to keep on pressing towards Jesus begins to fall and fade away. Discipline is needed to become who you want to be. One of my favorite principles in life is called the paradox principle. And this is the principle. It works in every single area of your life. It says this, easy short-term choices lead to difficult long-term consequences. But difficult short-term choices lead to easy long-term consequences. Let's say that one more time. Easy short-term choices lead to difficult long-term consequences. Difficult short-term choices lead to easy long-term consequences. What that means is it is very easy to get a credit card. It's very easy to swipe that thing for whatever the new product is that's out, that's trending all over social media. But what comes with that easy short-term choice is long-term consequences called 24.6% APR. They don't tell you that on the front. They make it as easy as possible on the front end because the back end is full of back-loaded consequences. It's very easy to slide through Jack's drive through It's very difficult to go see the cardiologist in 20 years. It's difficult to bypass Jack's and Culver's and Zaxby's and Chick-fil-A and go to Tzatziki's and eat a salad. But it's much easier in 20 years when I'm still healthy and my heart is functioning correctly. It's difficult to save money instead of spending it, but it's easy when I get to retire early and enjoy my life. See, the principle plays out in every single area of your life. It's easy to say yes to temptation, but the consequences are very difficult. 
It's difficult to say no to immediate gratification. But the benefits on the back end are extremely easy. That is discipline. Discipline says no now so I can say yes later. Temptation says say yes now and you'll get told no later. The principle plays out and it takes discipline to be who God has called us to be. But it says here, it's not just personal discipline. Here in Hebrews it says God is the disciplinarian. God is the disciplinarian. So for some of you, it already stirs your heart the wrong direction. Maybe you had a father who was abusive. Maybe you had an authority figure in your life, a stepfather, somebody who was abusive towards you. They beat you physically. Maybe they mistreated you emotionally, sexually, and spiritually. Maybe you had a, a school teacher who manipulated and abused their authority to discipline you. And so as soon as you hear that God is a disciplinarian, you check out. I actually believe this is one of the reasons why we have a whole generation that rejects authority, rejects correction, and rejects training of any sort is because fathers were missing from the home to create the right atmosphere for discipline to be actually loving. Because love always precedes discipline. Love always precedes discipline. Discipline without love is punishment. And no father should ever punish their children. In this scripture, God is actually saying he doesn't discipline until we become sons and daughters of him. If he's not disciplined, it's because we're not sons or daughters. It's a pivotal thing you have to know that until you understand the unconditional love of God, you cannot understand his discipline. Because God only disciplines his sons. Because it is a correction. One person said discipline is correction motivated by unconditional love. It's not motivated by control or manipulation or trying to get what you want out of somebody. It's motivated by unconditional love. And when unconditional love is present, discipline flourishes. When I'm growing up, just to be very transparent, when I was growing up, my household was one, some of you all heard my testimony, it was not a godly household, it was a rough household with drugs, alcohol, parties, all types of immorality, all types of stuff. At 12 years old, my parents got divorced Finally, they should have got divorced before I was even born, but they finally got divorced. And I chose to live with my dad, and my brother and sister had to live with my mom. And to me, there really wasn't much decision. It wasn't a hard decision to make. And a lot of my friends couldn't understand it because they'd been around my parents. My dad was working a lot. My dad was pretty, pretty not, not hard, but he was direct and kind of brash at times. But my mom was laissez-faire. And what laissez-faire means, anything goes. So 11, 12 years old, I could drink beer. I mean, my buddy came over one time. My parents had some Everclear, which is pure grain alcohol, 180 proof. You pour it in your gas tank, your car will go. He pulled it off the, the top of the refrigerator. He said, man, I'm going to drink some. We're 12. I said, bro, I've tried that. That will kill you. He said, ah, oh, man, I got this. He takes a swig, not a shot. He takes a swig. Dude falls out in the driveway in the gravel. And so, <coughs> he starts coughing and breathing. I was like, bro, I told you. I ain't helping you because I'm not getting in trouble. Like our house is full of everything a teenager could ever want they could do. My mom let girls come over. I could go to girls' house. I could spend the night. They would spend the night. Anything, everything you could think of. And so when it came time to choose who to live with, I chose my dad. And all my friends couldn't understand because I was breaking up the party. And I said, why would you choose to live with your dad? I said, I, I don't know. And there was something deep inside of me 
that believed that the fact that there were no boundaries or no discipline meant there was no love for me. The fact that there was no correction of wrong behaviors, the fact there was no discipline for immorality or being undisciplined or uncontrolled or anything like that, the fact there was no discipline led me to believe I was not loved. And I'd rather be in a house where there was discipline because I felt loved under discipline than be in a house with no discipline because I didn't feel loved. Because I think it'd be very hateful for God to say, I love you, but do whatever you want to, no matter how bad it harms you or your family or your kids. Discipline means I love you enough to not let you keep going in the same direction because God only disciplines his children. He doesn't discipline the world. He doesn't win us with discipline. He wins us with unconditional love. But then he keeps us in that unconditional love through discipline. See, it says he only disciplines those who are shown. Proverbs 3, again, it says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. I mean, it is so clear. It is so clear that God loves us enough to discipline us. Now, in our household, we have four kids. We have three girls. And then we have RJ who, who has always pushed the limits of discipline. Right? RJ is the type that if you were to say, RJ, if you do that again, you're going to get a spanking. He'd think, uh. And if I do that again, my dad's going to spank me. It's going to hurt for about five minutes. But if I do it and my boys see it, I'm going to be like a superhero for like three years. I'm going to do it. Like he, he processes things that clearly. So our relationship has been one of love and discipline, love and discipline, love and discipline. But a couple of years ago, there was a situation where the neighbor kids that I've, I've seen him on video manipulating and doing some things. RJ was at his house. The, the father was cussing. He was drinking around them while they were playing in the yard. He was cussing. And something happened. We tried to discipline RJ. So I told RJ, I said, look, do not play with that boy again until I talk to his dad. Right? So RJ said, okay, cool. So one day, a little boy knocks on the door. RJ opens the door. RJ says, I can't play with you until my dad talks to your dad. And I heard it said like, and I was like, this ain't going to be good. So I'm sitting on the couch. I think Toya and Tisha are in the, in the living room. And you heard a on the door. But it wasn't like that type of knock. It was like, I'm trying to prove I'm a man knock. So I opened the door, and this dude's like, I'm, I'm 6'3", almost 6'4", 225, 230. This dude is like 5'8", five, 5'9", five, a buck 75. He's like, I heard you wouldn't let your boy play with my boy until you talk to me. I was like, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. He said, well, what's the problem? I said, well, here's my problem. I said, RJ's been playing with your son. Some things have happened. You tried to discipline my son. He's, and he's tried to bow up. He's like, well, I do security for a living. I said, I don't care what you do for a living. Here's the deal. I discipline my son. You discipline yours. I'm not going to discipline your son because I have not shown your son unconditional love in order to do that with. My son is my boy. I know God's purpose. I know God's destiny. I know God's gifts inside of him. I'm the one that's loved him in the middle of the night. I'm the one that's loved him when he's failed. I'm the one that's shown him unconditional love. You can only discipline somebody in an environment of unconditional love. Outside of that, it is punishment. And no one should ever discipline somebody that they do not, they do not love unconditionally. I've seen this in sports where a coach will walk in and try to discipline players he has never spent any time with. 
God says, I can discipline you because I've been watching you and loving you since before you were formed in your mother's womb. I know your purpose. I know your destiny. I know the dreams inside of you. I know everything I've placed. So I only discipline you to get you to become who I've called you to be. And so if you've had an abusive relationship, I'm going to tell you, fathers, mothers, whatever, that is not discipline. If they beat you, if they abused you, if they lied to you, if they manipulated you, if they took advantage of you, that was not discipline. That was an instrument of the devil to get you off track. That was abuse. That was a weapon of the enemy to get you to say no to God the Father and say yes to the devil, the father of lies. That God would not punish you, God will discipline you because he knows what's inside of you. He wants to get out, and it can only come out through discipline and correction. Because God disciplines us to protect us from ourselves. God disciplines us to protect us from ourselves. Because left to ourselves, we are prone to wander from the straight and narrow. Left to ourselves, we're prone to do what, we, what looks good in our own eyes and our own thoughts. We're prone to wander away from God's presence. We're prone to wander away from our identity. We're prone to wander away to the direction of the world. Left to ourselves, we're prone to wander. And so God uses discipline to get us back into his graces, into our identity and into who we are because a loving father guides, leads, and corrects his children. And I believe there's two plans. I believe there's a plan A and a plan B of God's discipline. Plan A is internal correction. It's internal. It's inside. It's God's plan A. It's through his Holy Spirit. John 16, basically to sum up, there's two main functions of the Holy Spirit, to comfort and convict. To comfort and convict. And so the Holy Spirit only lives within God's children. So he gives us his Holy Spirit so that when we start getting out of bounds or we start getting too far away from his presence or we get too far from our identity in Christ, the Holy Spirit will convict us to remind us to turn back and come back to the Father. It's that simple. Comfort and convict. But the problem in church world today is we don't like the conviction of the Holy Spirit anymore. We just want the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And what that does, we have a lot of people preaching that as I'm running away from God, I just want the Holy Spirit to comfort me in my sin, even though I'm wandering farther and farther away. When conviction would convict me from this, so I'll look back to my father and return back home. So it, it plays out like this. When you get too far from the presence of God, have you ever seen these weird micromanagement, crazy moms or Karens, I don't know where Toya is, these Karens that put a leash on their kids at the mall or Disneyland or Disney World. Like literally put a leash on their children. Some of y'all probably did that. No, you're still weird. Um, like that leash as the kid is maybe running towards the next uh, roller coaster or the next ride or the next event or the next thing. The kid is like running and the mom pulls it. It's like, whoa. Like I'm sure it hurts the kid. The kid needs to go see a chiropractor or something. But the mom is holding the kid back. Right, so if, if the kid was selfish, if the kid didn't know the mom loved him, they may say, my mom is always holding me back. My mom is always hurting me. My mom is always keeping me from achieving what I want to achieve and doing what I want to do. But the mom knows if the leash wasn't there, the kid would run off and would go the wrong direction and possibly get lost. And so God, whenever we start to wander too far from his presence or too far from his perfect will or too far from his dreams and desires for us, he'll pull us back and he uses the voice of his Holy Spirit to do it. He'll convict you on the inside to remind you to turn back home. Because if he didn't convict us, we'd be the prodigal. 
living our best life away from the Father's house. The other thing he'll convict us with is when you start getting too far out of your identity as a son or a daughter of the Most High God, when you start stepping outside of your identity and getting farther away from your identity, the Holy Spirit will remind you, that's not who you are. You are not what you do. You are a child of God. Remember my dad used to tell me, that's not what Gorleys do. And that was his form of correction. We, Gourleys work hard. Gourleys give 110%. And he was correcting me based off my identity. Hey, you're getting too far. Come back to your identity. In the same way, when you start getting outside of your identity in Christ, when you start stepping outside of the temptations as the enemy tries to pull you away, God will say, get back here. That's not who you are anymore. You are not who you used to be. Why are you opening doors? Why are you playing with the things you used to play with? Get back here. That is not who you are. You are the righteous. You are the holy. You are the priest. You are the saint. You are the redeemed. You are the delivered. You are not that person. And he pulls you back through the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's why conviction is good. Conviction pulls us back into the perfect presence of God and back to our identity of who we are in Christ. What's even more crazy is he says, if he's not disciplining us, then we're illegitimate sons. What that tells me is as a believer, as a son of God, you should be continually being corrected and disciplined by God. And if you haven't been disciplined by God lately, you may want to check your relationship with him. Because the closer I get to God, the more convicted I get. There's things now that I can convict it over that when I first got saved were no big deals at all. But now, like, I don't watch TV that has cuss words in it. Not because I think it's evil or wrong, but I get convicted. When before, I would watch TV, I would watch movies, I would do this. But as I've grown closer to God, his conviction has gotten stronger in my life because the closer I get to Jesus, the more things I have to cast to the side. And so you need to ask yourself, when was the last time you were convicted? Because if you haven't been convicted of anything lately, that means you're probably not struggling. And if you're not struggling, that means you're not growing. If you're not struggling, it means you're probably going the wrong direction. If you're not struggling, it means you've either camped out or you quit. But if you're struggling, God's going to keep convicting you. Don't place your hand there. Place your hand on this stronghold. He'll keep leading you because he wants you to be somebody better than, you, who, than who you are right now. The second plan B type of discipline is external discipline. So plan A is internal, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Plan B is the external, which is the hardships of life. So if God can't get to you through the voice of his Holy Spirit, if he can't get to you internally and convict you of who you are and who you're not, then he'll use the hardships of life. God will allow things to happen in our life to correct our past and our behavior. I mean, you better be careful when you start tuning out the voice of the Holy Spirit and tuning out his conviction and turning your ear to his voice that the only weapon God has left to, to redirect your path back to the straight and narrow is the hardships of life. Which means God will allow you to go through some difficulties in order to get your attention to come back to him. Which means God will allow you to step into sin, to step into suffering, to step into something so that it becomes hard enough that at some point you'll look back and think, man, it was so much better at the Father's house. Like he'll use the hardships of life. One, he'll rescind blessings. 
Moses got disciplined by God. He was supposed to go into the promised land. He disobeyed. God removed the blessing that he placed before him. So you may think, well, you know, I'm just living my best life. You know, I love Jesus, but I'm going to do me type thing. Cool. But you know what? The discipline of the Lord may remove blessings upon your life that you've been praying about for years. Moses should have been the one to lead the Hebrews in the promised land. They had to watch from the other side of the river because of disobedience and the discipline of the Lord. The second thing God will do, the hardships left, is he will send storms in your life to rock your boat. Jonah disobeys God. God, if God was loving, he wouldn't let Jonah go all the way to Tarshish. Why would a father ever let their sons run away as far as they can get without putting some type of obstacle in their path? And here Jonah flees, and it says God sent a storm. God sent a storm. God sent a storm. It didn't say the enemy sent a storm. It didn't say a storm just happened. Around. God sent a storm towards Jonah. Why? To discipline him, to get him back to the right path, to get him to Nineveh instead of Tarshish. Some of you have been running from God for year after year after year, and there's storm after storm after storm in your life. And guess what? It is not the enemy. It is not the devil just trying to hold me back. No, God is trying to get your attention. God is trying to get your, he will use the storms of life to get your attention, to get your feet back on the right path towards the place he's purposed and destined for you to be. So you may want to check, am I going through these things? Because I've disobeyed God and he's disciplined me trying to get me right back to where I'm supposed to be. What's crazy about the story of Jonah is God sends a storm to, to awaken him, to get him back to the right spot. When he comes back, God doesn't deal with all the past. God just sets his feet on dry ground to where he was supposed to be to begin with and sets him in the right path towards his purpose and destination. God does not punish by taking you back to where you were. God takes you right where you're supposed to be. That is the discipline of the Lord. He'll use A or B, internal or external. A, internal, B, external. Why? Because God knows there's something better in you than what you're currently showing. Darren Patrick said it this way, discipline is rarely enjoyable, but almost always profitable. Discipline is rarely enjoyable. No one loves doing gassers at football practice. No one loves doing running lines in basketball. No one loves doing push-ups or running in boot camp. It's rarely enjoyable, but almost always profitable. He says in the scripture, he says that in the short term, it seems unpleasant, but in the long term, it's profitable. It produces something in our lives. Corey Ten Boom said this way, it hurts when God pries things out of our hands. Like when God's trying to pry pride or pride religion or pride greed or, or pride lust or pride whatever it is out of our hand. It hurts when he's prying it out, but at the end we have open hands to receive what God wants to give us. Because God's discipline, get this, God's discipline proves to you, one, that you're a child of God, but also proves that God believes there's more in you than you're currently demonstrating to the world around you. He says it's profitable because in the end it produces something. Discipline produces something. It means God sees potential in you. That the discipline of the Lord means promotion is coming in your life. It means he's disciplining you for something now because he's preparing you for something 
later that we as people should embrace the discipline of the Lord. We should be the special forces of the world. We enjoy the discipline we're going through because it's producing something better for us in the long run. Do you realize that when God disciplines you, he's preparing you for a better destination and a better you? It is rarely enjoyable, but it's always profitable. And so your response to the discipline of the Lord determines what you receive from it. If it's submission and confession, you receive the promotion. If it's rebellion and rejection, you stay exactly where you are. And if we're going to be God's holy people, we have to embrace the discipline of the Lord. Some of you have been saved 40 years. You have not been convicted of a sin or discipline in years and years and years. Which means you've camped out at the spot you arrived to whenever you stopped being convicted of the Lord. Some of you have become so numb to the voice of the Holy Spirit that you've turned away his voice. You look for the comfort of the Lord but reject the conviction of the Lord and you've stopped struggling and growing to reach the mountaintop. If we're going to be people of holiness, we have to embrace the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Because there's things in all of our lives that have no business in the throne room of heaven. It's only by conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's not my job to tell you. It's the Holy Spirit's job to tell you what it is that does not belong at the throne. Because we want to be a throne room church. We worship at the throne of God. We take people with us to the throne. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes, just real quick. I'm just praying for a spirit of conviction. Not, not in this service, but in this body of believers. But there's so much junk going on in church world. I mean, this pastor after pastor having moral failure. It's church after church, I believe, that's letting the world into the church instead of taking the church to the world. It's believer after believer that's caught up in sexual sin and immorality just like the world is. It's the church that's been full of, of pride and arrogance and, and different political strife. Those are, none of those are the things of God. None of those belong at the throne room of God. And I'm praying for a move of holiness in this church and all of God's church. And that starts with us embracing the discipline and conviction of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to be walking in any direction that's away from the throne of God. I don't want to act and behave outside of my identity as a child of the Most High God. Holy Spirit, we give you permission to search our hearts, to test our hearts, to test our lives, and to point out anything that does not belong at the throne. Father, specifically, I'm calling out right now, I'm calling sexual immorality and lust. I pray for those here and online. I pray, Father, you point those things out. You don't just point them out. You redirect their hearts to the purity of the Lord. Father, we're pointing out self-centeredness and greed and pride and arrogance. And Father, you search our hearts, oh God, and you point out anything that is not humble before you. Anything that's not a, a posture being knelt down and bowed down at the throne of God. Father, I'm praying right now that you begin to point out hatred 
hatred for other people, hatred for ex-spouses, hatred for people that's betrayed us or hurt us or abused us, hatred for people that are opposite of us, opposite races, opposite political beliefs, opposite whatever it may be. Father, you begin to point those things out to soften our hearts. For without forgiveness, none of us can be forgiven. Father, I pray for our quiet times with you, that we give you our quiet times to mold us and shape us, to discipline us, to correct us, to train us into all things righteousness. Father, we bless you and we thank you in Jesus' name.